Oh, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and I'm standing in for Pam once again, who's having a bit of a deserved break. Now, one of my favourite things about coming into the radio is getting to catch up with people that I haven't seen for a while. And joining me in the studio today are two women with areas of expertise that I think everyone can appreciate and enjoy. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to grill them all by myself. <laughs> I'd like to welcome Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design and Chloe Foster from the Melbourne Zoo. Good morning, guys. Good morning, girls. Good morning. <laughs> and how are we? Very cosy today. Yeah. <laughs> Very was, good, thank you. It was dark this morning. Last time I, I came know. in, the sun was up and everything's everywhere but it's just dark at the moment so you haven't been in for a while no uh, although (laughs) it has got it seems i've got dark quite quickly yeah it just goes really quickly you're like oh there goes summer yeah yeah Mm. although it has been quite warm Yes, I know. Yes. I'm still feeling a bit humid today. Yeah, mm. and I, I actually have <laughs> been tropical. sleeping outside in my swag for you know a few months now, and um, even it's a nice summer s- thing to do. Well, mm. I sort of do it in winter as well. Oh. <laughs> I just uh, like being outside I didn't in the know fresh, that. <laughs> like being outside in the fresh air and um, watching the stars and whatnot. Mm. But it has been really humid and yeah. muggy and, yeah. and hard to sleep. Really, hasn't it? Mm, very. So it's, uh, yeah, it's fan weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that is so true. In fact, I bought this gorgeous little um, sort of retro style fan from the Kangaroo Valley, one of their antique shops, um, something that you just wouldn't find anymore and it sort of takes a while to get going but it finally <laughs> does and it, and it, it, keep, it keeps me cool for those yeah, hot summer nights. So yeah, so what, what have you guys been up to? Well, I took the Cranbourne Friends, when I'm not at work, I'm at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, just plants of my life obviously. Um, I took the Cranbourne Friends on a tour of the zoo uh, nursery and butterfly oh, house yesterday. So I work in the exciting. nursery at Melbourne Zoo and grow the butterfly food plants. We grow edible plants for different types of I, I have spent animals. hours, actually probably weeks of my life, um, untangling um, passiflora <laughs> in greenhouse at the zoo for <laughs> yeah. the butterflies. Don't worry, Chloe, yeah. I've done my butterfly growing time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paid my dues for the butterflies. We thank you very much for that, <laughs> um, Yeah, so we had the Cranbourne friend at the zoo yesterday and we had a walk around and a, and a tour and they're a very engaging bunch. And then we went up to the butterfly house and so it was like humidity all day. So it was humid outside mm. yesterday and we're in the greenhouse and we went up to the butterfly house and that's always hot. And then we had a walk around Royal Park with the friends of Royal Park yes. and um, they were just absolutely fantastic. I learnt a lot, a lot about that place that I didn't know before. There used to be a... Um, horse-drawn tram that used to go up through a part of Royal Park and stop at the front entrance of the zoo. So you can catch a tram to the zoo, but it goes to the back entrance. Um, but this horse-drawn tram used to go to the front. And was that just like a tourist huh. sort of thing? Yeah, oh, I don't know if it was a tourist thing. It might have been like one of the main ways to get to the zoo okay. back in those days. Yeah. Um, you can see it. There's a big line. There's an, Over the other side where the sporting fields are, there's a big line of um, ficus trees. Mm-hmm. And it sort of curves around a little oh, yes. bit. And, yep. like, that's the old road. They used to go along the Bring old road. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. really nice. Yeah, no, Royal Park is just spectacular, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we don't want a freeway coming out of it. No. <laughs> no, we, we actually saw where they wanted the freeway to, to come oh, out. Oh, where is it? Is it sort of down the bottom section? Have you been to the wetlands before? Yes. So there's these fantastic well, wetlands. I've been to the wetlands. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, mm. um, I didn't know I used to go there four years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I've been for a walk around there. (laughs) I don't want to go to work. It was weird being at work on a Saturday. (laughs) Um, But it it collects stormwater from around because it's sort of on a a bit of a a slope, sort of a north-south slope, I suppose. And they 
the area collects all the stormwater. It comes through into these wetlands, mm. um, and then it goes out into the Mary Creek. And that's the water. And there's a big under one of the fields down in Royal Park West. There's a big um, oval, and they dug it up. And there's a big bladder under it. So that's where all the reclaimed water goes to. And then that's what they use to irrigate Royal Park. Okay. Mm. Amongst I don't know they might do other stuff with it as well, but. And then we saw where the freeway was going to come out and there's a bit of remnant um, remnant or sort of reclaimed vegetation along the side, like a big slope along the side where the train line is and it was going to come out there and the whole thing just would have been totally destroyed. Yep. And I don't think they were going to make any sort of um, noise. What do you call it when that um, noise? Buffers. Buffers, or... yeah. And I don't think there was going to be much of that. <laughs> And um, it just would have been Animals horrific. don't care about noise. Yeah, yeah and it was going to be and, – and people as well, there was a, a, a sort of tallish apartment block and I think it was one of the bridges for the thing was going to go about a metre from this apartment Good block grief. as well. So, I, yeah, the end of it didn't seem that well planned, just where it was going to come out and anyway, so the wetlands are still there and there's heaps of birds around and, and some, you know, nice big tall trees and, yeah, it's a beautiful park and, I, I mean, I go walking – there at lunchtime sometimes and yeah. the native grassland circle is really pretty and mm, mm. they've done a little section um they scraped the top off the top maybe six inches or something of soil and replanted it with um indigenous seeds like um you know, billy buttons and um the blue devil oryngium mm, mm. um and some grass and some more grasses and so there's a little patch which would be what it would look like if there was no none of the exotic grasses and mm, exotic right. sort of weeds and stuff in yeah. there so and do you take yourself down to the um to the kids playground i've been the past there have, have you seen it, it? Oh, i still yeah. haven't been to see it oh, myself it it's so cool everyone like, keeps telling me it's yeah. fantastic you, you need to go on a weekday when there's no kids because <laughs> you, see it. And you, have, you feel really silly standing in line with you know 14 six year olds yeah. it's my turn for the swing now it's <laughs> an amazing <laughs> landscape like there's um branches and stuff you can climb on and like a big rope like it's not the plastic fantastic that mm. you see in mcdonald's mm. um yeah there's heaps of well, there's some water play stuff spectacular yeah but yeah yes, you just reminded me wow i do need i don't live this far far from this <laughs> yeah. i don't need to go and have a look at it yeah personally mm. i think it was just the royal children's hospital drumming up business <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh you <laughs> could break an arm there so, so easily yeah. how fantastic are those <laughs> yeah. you know those rope swings yes ropes that you walk along yep. and what is terrific is that parents they they want their kids to be out there yeah. climbing you know three metres above the ground, you know, taking mm. those risks and jumping mm. up and down mm. rocks and... Having know. a life, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having yeah. a childhood. Yeah. 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 So I think it's... it's oh, it's really fantastic. I think the only thing that perhaps they, that they would have liked to do was because anything they do in Royal Park now is using Indigenous vegetation. It's native vegetation. But, I mean, yeah, how far do you, how far do you go? How far do you, you go? It? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's still, you know, there's some... I like casuarinas there and some gum trees, which are really nice. Yeah. Kids can run around when they when they get older. And yeah, yeah. And, when and it, it establishes, have, yeah, really lovely shade eventually. So. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. no, was good. Yeah, Royal Park's huge. I was stuffed yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and how many people from Cranbourne did the tour? We had twenty, so it was just enough because it's quite tight in the greenhouse at the zoo, yeah. and then mm-hmm. you know there's a couple of smaller glass houses up around the butterfly house where they rear the caterpillars and. 
Um, they got to see the Lord Howe Island stick insects as well. So oh yeah, um, you've got a pretty good program there. Yeah, we yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they went there when I was there. No, Chloe, I'm just thinking, Chloe, that it might be nice. I'll put you on the spot here. Can I come and have a tour of the? Uh, <laughs> so many years since yes, I've been in the nursery. I had really a stint there. Come in whenever you want. I'm sure it's slightly different to when I was there. <laughs> John Arnott. Joe, old Joe and his cat used to manage it. Oh really? <laughs> old Italian man and oh, his cat. The butterfly house. No, no, the nursery. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we grew for the. You know, we grew for the um thing yeah i think he was kind of bemused and um uh entertained by having a young woman in his nursery <laughs> i can tell you <laughs> yeah, john arnett came for a visit a little while ago to have a look at some things for it we're having a botanic gardens network meeting there and um he if listeners know john who's on here sometimes he used to be the manager of horticulture and he worked at the melbourne zoo he, you would have he, worked with him. He, he was my first tradie that I worked with as an apprentice. I yeah. started with him. So so he was there for about twenty years before and, he was manager. Yeah, <laughs> and I think he had he had a lot to do with the establishment of the Butterfly House Garden, um, and and the old nursery where it used to be. And he yeah, so he came for a visit about a month ago, and he's like, oh my god, everything's grown, and he couldn't believe how how established it was, and he loved it. So yeah, please come in yeah, wherever you want. Been Just let for me know. A long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, it'll be fun. You're on, show you're coming out. <laughs> <laughs> it'll all smell the same. He said it still smells the same. I can oh. smell eco oil and natra soap. <laughs> oh, that natra soap. I got into using that from being at the zoo. Well, of course, you'd have to be. I I'm mean, you're that. looking after these plants, which you pretty yeah. much, yep. they just get decimated, yep. you know. We, how we, how long does it take for them to sort of be... It's different for each plant, but down, yep. like maybe a week or a few days, depending yep. on the, the stage that the that the caterpillar's in. If it's the younger caterpillars, it'll take a little longer. If they're bigger caterpillars, they'll chew it down yep. pretty quick. Yeah. So really, garden's worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> like we spray like for selective, like we selectively kill insects. So we don't want to kill the good caterpillars. Yep. So we have to be careful what we kill the bad caterpillars with. And do you, do you, um, I learned when I was there about, um, we used to use persimilis, one of the... Um, beneficial, the spiders. Yeah, yeah, for the spot, for the um, two-spotted mites or red-spotted mites. Yeah. yeah persimilis. I forget its second name, but that's one we of the predatory used mites. Similis, yeah. To get a little bean leaves, and so I was using that in my work for years. Yeah, okay. And then I went to using Tuflodromus as well, but we use, that's where I learned about using. We those. put we things that get um, two spotted mite. We put them outside. Oh, so for different a while, strategies just now. Just to yeah, oh. to control it like that. The passiflora get it, so we yes. put them outside yeah. and bring a few in inside in winter to keep them going. Yeah. I don't. I don't think we had anything much except. I think we were pretty much just using passiflora. Okay. When I was there greenhouses and greenhouses of those things uh it, it's kind of an easy it's an easy thing to grow and it grows in shocking Melbourne when you have to be the apprentice easier. untwining it <laughs> yeah. uh, we do use beneficial insects so uh, yeah. what do you use now? a couple of different mites one of them's called californicus oh mm, new. and one of them's called montdurensis montdurensis eats thrips oh. and maybe a broad mite californicus is a couple of other different types of mites mm. so they're more greenhouse based Predatory, um, yes. predatory insects because yep. I wouldn't. I don't. I haven't heard of them surviving outside, but I could be. No, they. I don't know. They may oh, no. not survive as well outside. They come from mm. Queensland, where they're, they're okay. bred. Like there's companies that breed beneficial yep. mites, and I think you can buy them off their website. Yeah, you can from, yeah. For, your, for your own. Like, that's what that's for what your home. I was using them in my yeah. work because yeah. because I've learned about them at the zoo. Yeah. Then I use them yeah. in gardening for years, and yeah. they're not they're not they're super good. expensive either. You can get um, green lacewing eggs, and I've never tried lacewing. No, we haven't either because the, the larvae can apparently eat caterpillar eggs. So oh. we need to. We want to they green, <laughs> that'd be a bit of a disaster. <laughs> yeah, green lace wings are really good for thrips, and we've had a lot of problems with thrips lately. But um, the, yeah, they can eat 
but we're not sure what if they're selective on the types of caterpillar mm. eggs that they eat. So we, we really need to look into that because mm. thrips in the greenhouse at the moment have been tearing your hair out over. So, mm. yeah. And the other one we use is it's called the mealybug destroyer. Ooh, sounds it's, good. Because mealybugs are a bit of a pain in the neck too. It's like mealybugs are kind of a fluffy white little That are all over insect. people's apple trees yeah. at the moment. Yeah, apple mine. trees and indoor plants yeah. too. Yes, yeah. Um, this one is kind of like a – it's about twice the size of a large mealybug when you get mm-hmm. it. So it is wow. like a white fluffy thing and it um, – Mealybug on Metamorphosizes, whatever the word is, into a, a type of um, ladybird and they eat mealybugs. Mm. And they're very Sounds effective. Great. They're I've so – mealy- Cryptolemus they're called. Okay, I'll, I'll look that one up because I've got um, a ponytail palm indoors which is oh. suffering from mealybug. I just yeah. noticed it the other Poor day. Ponytail. They're yeah. one of my favourite plants. I know. <laughs> and it's usually really healthy. It's come on really quickly. So It's um, it's all just sort of everywhere at the moment, the old yeah. um, mealybug. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Oh, sorry, not mealybug on the apple tree. I'm completely – Sorry, silly. Woolly aphids. Oh, woolly aphids. Oh, yeah. Okay. Similarly horrible. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, no. Similar in appearance as well. Yeah, but nearly yeah. like horrible, horrible. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I might Actually worse myself than some aphids. of those and It'd be um, worth it. see what happens. Because they're kind of fun to watch too, these cryptolemus, because they're a little bit bigger and they just it's like this little fluffy thing just kind of like waddling around the leaves. And then it's a really nice um, ladybird with black and it's just got two red spots kind of on its shoulders at the front of it. And um, sort of, they, they breed and rebreed and everything and, and yeah, they... So they, they don't they don't take the, off. They stay with the food sources. I yeah, suppose. yeah. If yeah. there's food, they'll stay there and eat it. Yeah, so. terrific. Yeah. yeah, should give that a go. Yeah, I yeah. know. Oh, there's a company called uh, Good Bugs. That's one of them, isn't it? That that sells I, them. I, think, I, I think always get confused, confused whether Good Bugs is kind of the association of all the various people because they used to because I bought from one or two of the different companies because they they specialise in growing one you know one company will just grow one or two bugs that's yeah, it yeah and they'll send you like a yearly calendar and things with little you know, pin-up bugs and close-ups <laughs> yeah, yeah. of all these bugs. And, uh, and they had a good bugs book and or they I don't know if they still produce that. I, they, I assume they would, yeah. giving really good descriptions of each beneficial insect and how to use it. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've only used two or three of them, but there's an there's amazing range lot. of them. Yeah, this company, we get them from two different companies, Bugs for Bugs and one called Biological Services where we get oh, yeah, yeah, other okay. beneficial insects from. But, yeah, they've both got a pretty big range of... Of um of plants so of not plants of little bugs for people so it, it'd be good yeah. if, if people got more in the habit of using bugs rather than sprays because so many know, people still yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's mm. exactly right mm. it's just and they are hard to find out about to be honest like, yeah and the the other thing I used to do a bit of the you know financial benefit thing for people mm. because if you compared the the uh, cost of, say, the predatory mites to get rid of two spotted mite in a garden compared to the cost of spraying, mm-hmm. I think it worked out that with the predatory mites you can just introduce them once and that was that. And this is when you have to, um, you know, include the driving across town to drop them in someone's garden and distribute them around the place. And it was cheaper than going there twice to spray, which you'd mm-hmm. have to do if you if you were if they wanted you to spray yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it did actually work out cheaper. But the other way of doing it, which I'd encourage people to do, is that I would just split it with people. So I'd say, okay, we'll share the because po- it didn't shares the postage, which yep. might be quite expensive. And so then you'd, um, you know, because another one I used to use was um, weevil neem, and it's a nematode that attacks. Brown, it's registered for brown vegetable weevil, but it, it's also useful for, uh, for um, 
vine weevil. And we had those telltale cut, I had these telltale um, little cut shapes on the leaves, you know, the little half oh, moons yes, yes, yes. and the round shapes. And it took me a couple of years to diagnose this or to get help from someone else to diagnose it at a garden I was looking after for years. And finally, one of my friends who works at the Hobart Botanics said, oh, we had something similar and <clears throat> that we use these this weevil name, even though it's not registered for that weevil, but it does work on it. So oh, they work yeah. a bit like a chemical. They won't say, yes, it's registered for this because it's not, but that they will admit, yes, people do use it for this. Mm. So you get this fluffy stuff in a little tiny, like a dip size, you know, like a plastic dip container. Yeah. And you get this white fluffy stuff, non-toxic, and that's the dehydrated nematode. And you go through this whole process of rehydrating it with warm water. Oh, it's a sea monkey. Oh. <coughs> yeah. 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 In, in, in warm water and you rehydrate it and you stir it this many, you know, you stir it for how long and then you, you let it sit for so long and then you dilute it and you put it over a garden. And But, yeah, the the, um, the other nematodes and things I would share with, with clients and I'd say, well, I need it for my garden too or I'd take it to another client. Mm. And so if you've got people in the same street or close by to each yep. other, neighbours who, who are most likely all suffering two spotted mite infestation yeah. at the same time. Yeah, well, this, you know, you should spread it around. Share the cost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and share the cost. Because you don't really need an entire, even even the, most of those sort of places, they'll sell home packs because home gardeners got into buying them. But mm. it is really worth listeners out there looking through the, um, I, I don't know the central the central source for it. Maybe it's the maybe it's the Good Bug Company. Yeah, yeah. maybe. No, I think mm. I actually think there's a couple out there. I should do yeah. some, a bit more research. But remember yeah, a few years I, ago, I can't tell you exactly either. There was that um, real pest problem with the African black beetles. I don't know if you remember that. No, it was, it was no. about four years ago. And wherever I dug in the garden, I'd be pulling up handfuls of oh. the larvae. You know those Ooh. little pearl grubs? Oh, and, and, and various, various right, stages. Okay. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's the, the larvae. Butcher, butcher boys? Or am I thinking of something else? Uh, not butcher I'm boys? I'm not sure. Something black, different. Yeah. Black the heads, though. Yeah, so they've got another the really old fashioned name. That's yeah. a, um, their name that we used to get, we used to. Was, Told they were where was cockchafer grubs. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that, 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 that they is might another. have changed. Yeah, yeah. The and they're similar, aren't they? You know those curl grubs. They, you know, yeah. and the various. But you see magpies eating yeah, your, yeah, your but, lawn, and they think people think they're eating their lawn, but they're really eating the grubs for them. That, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. And I applied. I um, ordered in some nematodes. Oh, for them, so, oh. yeah, yeah, and watered them in, and actually, um, maybe I did. But it's so long since I've had to control them. Yeah, and but the trouble, of course, mm. is you don't actually know if they're working or not. So yeah, it could be a really good business, couldn't it? Well, we don't really know no, with these <laughs> beneficial bugs that we use work. I'm, you know, ninety nine percent sure that they do. But because we spray, like, we'll do a spray and then we'll release our beneficial bugs. But then when we do a spray again, like those bugs probably mm. get killed. So then we release the bugs again. Um, so ours is a little bit more intensive, um, but I'm pretty sure, like I'm pretty confident that they work because we can, we've really kept it, you know, uh, the mealybugs down and, and that, but it is hard to tell unless you can do some really intensive research and start counting, you know, mites on leaves. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a bit hard to tell, but I don't think these places would be in business if, no. and, if and it, it didn't and work. Anecdotally, when I've released the two spotted mite uh, control, the persimilis or, or typhlodromus in my back garden. And front garden, it worked really well mm. um, because you could really see the numbers come down. It, it, yeah. look, it doesn't make it go away. No. But it just keeps it at a level that you don't have to stress about it so much. Yeah, and it, you don't really need to totally get rid of it. Like something's no. going to come in and eat them. A spider will come in and, and eat them anyway. If you can get into a, get them to a mm. controllable mm. number, then 
Mm. Did you read that um, article that Roger sent out to everyone about the spiders? That's right. And Actually, they eat something mentioning. like, I don't know, what is it, 200 million tonnes of insects a year that spiders <laughs> eat? They eat just... double the – spiders apparently eat double the weight of the protein that humans eat every year. Oh, what? Just insane, yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> you should have printed out that article. I haven't thought yeah, about that. I did, actually. Oh, yeah. did you? Oh, please read it. Yeah, yeah so it's, um, it's, it was quite amazing. So before you go and get rid of your spiders. Yeah. Um, there's some um, good little spiders that you want. Those little jumping ones. Is that maybe the one, one that he was talking that... about? Are they really the, the, the ones, little the pale little brown ones, ones that, that, are, that are everywhere? The they're quite common. Spiders. I love yeah. them. Mm. Right. They're yeah. really good. They're good oh, beneficial. And they're, they're adorable as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for a spider. Spiders feed on an estimated <laughs> 400 to 800 million tonnes of insects and other pests annually. In comparison, all humans consume about 400 million tonnes in meat and fish. So um, yeah, that that's a lot of that's a lot of Animal insects protein, that they're yeah. eating. So yeah. imagine incredible. Yeah, no, the well, tiny tiny creatures. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mostly. when when you spray, <laughs> that gets that gets rid of the spiders too. So mm, mm. yeah, yeah, beneficial yeah. bugs. Yeah, we've had a a um, one of those black house spiders living in our bathroom right next to the soap dish. And <laughs> <laughs> That's supposed to be you know, discouraging if you're using the soap or something. I, really, yeah. I don't know. It's getting bigger and bigger and every now and again I take him in a blowfly and uh, jumps on this. So it seems to be doing you're a good job. You're appeasing the spider god. I, I, something like that, yeah. Goddess, yeah. I, I, I can't, can't bring myself to get rid of mm, it. It mm. looks very comfortable there. Um, all right, well, we should get to some community announcements. Yes. So um, I'll go first. We've, um, we've got the REIT Garden, um, which is on today, Open Garden, and that's at 9 Summit Drive in Eaglemont. Um, so open from 10 o'clock till 4.30. Entry price is $8, under 18s free, and students are $5. This is a garden of breadth, both in size and plant variety, and is situated adjacent to the original site of the Heidi School of Art on Mount Summit in Eaglemont. The garden has been designed, developed and maintained by Sharon Harris Garden Design and the owners over two decades. It's a wonderful blend of different styles um, in a very well-tended garden from shaded woodland to a semi-tropical garden to a dry rock garden. Mm, they've got everything there. Mm. Um, have either either of you been there? No. Oh, no, but I do know Sharon Harris. Not terribly well, but I do yeah. know her. And, yeah. yeah, she's... a. Uh, Great sustainable gardener, so it should have some good practices and sensible plantings and, you know, good plants woman as well. Looks terrific. Mm. There's a little photo here. So that's at um, Nine Summit Drive, Eaglemont. That's on today. Um, And that's actually out my way, so I'm going to pop in on the way Mm. home. So that Mm. that should be good. We can hear about that later. Looking forward to it, yes. (laughs) Um, There is a book launch on this Thursday, March 30, um, at 6.30. Um, at Mythicus or no? No, this is um, something separate. At the Purple Room Level 1 Multicultural Hub 506 Elizabeth Street City, which is opposite the Vic Markets. And the book is Sustainable Agriculture versus Corporate Greed. Mm. Um, across the world, agriculture on which all human life depends is under sustained attack by big business. Small farmers everywhere are being forced off the land and replaced by big corporate outfits whose sole aim is profit maximisation. Um, and so that's written by Alan Brofton and Eleanor Garcia and Alan is one of the speakers um, there. For more information, you can call 
So, and I think there's a little picture of them there in some very, um, very nice 50s dresses. So they look quite good. And of course, there's the usual swap, and uh, there's also Reiki from 11 till 12:30. And the I'm not sure 100% what this is, but it's the Coburg Food Race as part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. I think that's a bit of an advance warning because, of course, that's not on this weekend. So. The, the nursery is really good value, great plants, and you know, a worthwhile visit if you only go occasionally to Pepper Tree Place for yep. their food swap. It's worth really going to, checking right. out. And do you have to take food to swap? Or you can just oh, yes, I should, should mention that, sorry. So food, food swaps, you don't really need to take a lot. You could take something as simple as a packet of parsley seeds that you've saved. You can also take some preserves, so you might have bottled some olives or you might have dried some apples or even Pop down to Coles and get some broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably discouraged. <laughs> a bunch of herbs, you know. Look, no food swap would turn anyone away who's made an effort to bring something. Yep. So homemade food's also appreciated if people bring a little um, plate of muffins or gluten-free muffins, whatever their their thing might be. Then that's always appreciated too, because there's always a bit of tea drinking and and uh, f- food nibbling at food swaps too. Mm. And then of course the generosity of people. People bring. Way more. It's like when you have your friends around for dinner and they all bring way more than they're meant to when they're all bringing a plate, say, and then you can hardly disperse the food. So, you know, it's that kind of feeling or that kind of vibe. They're, food swaps are so much fun to go to if you're a food gardener. Good Sounds problem terrific. to have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, I have – there's an open garden, which we're all really excited about in the studio at the moment, mm. in Bishop's – called Bishop's Court in Clarendon Street in East Melbourne. It's open next Saturday and Sunday, the 1st and 2nd of April from 10 till 4.30. Um, it was founded in 1848 and is one of the oldest properties in East Melbourne. Um, the garden was designed in a garden-esque style and features uh, plantings of, of sweeping lawns and many fruit and veggie gardens – and it also houses um, some of the major tree species of within the city of Melbourne on the Victorian Heritage Register. So there's some mm. really old English elms and portjacks and figs, um, Italian cypress, some uh, river red gums, which are probably remnant river red gums, and, and Monterey pines and a couple of Dutch elms. Um, there's going to be a sausage sizzle and tea and <laughs> coffees available and some plant sales as well. Um, there'll be a couple of talks on Saturday, both on Saturday, um, insect, how to build an insect hotel with Sandy Pullman at one o'clock and beekeeping by Rooftop Honey at two o'clock. And that's both on Saturday as well. So they'll be popular both. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Have you, you've got bees, haven't you? I do on my rooftop, but yep. just not through Rooftop Honey. Yeah. <laughs> just did, regular old garage rooftop bees. I did a, um, a one day beekeeping course recently oh, nice. at Edendale Farm in Eltham. Oh, and nice. With, um, yeah. I don't know if either of you know, um, Bob Owens, he's written a fantastic, no, no. um, tomb pretty much on, on beekeeping, oh. the beekeeping manual and, mm. um, which is really thick and is, I'm slowly working my way through it, but boy, the the course was so informative. You know, there's so much about bees that is quite incredible. It's, like mm, yeah. the, the drone congregation area. Like I had no idea that. Every, I've been keeping them for years. I don't even know. Oh, about that. okay. Let me tell you, it's, it's quite astonishing. You know, because I'm obviously, a bit so I just got to have them and use them. You know, keep yeah. them, and use them for my. My uh, desire for honey. No, not really. I'm very nice to my bees. But, but the, yeah, the drone congregation area, every about every three kilometres, about approximately 30 metres up in the air, every single day, 
um, thousands of drones meet. Oh, I have heard of this. They, Sorry, yeah, yes. they, yeah, they yeah. come. I think from, within the hive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. That, so they come to this drone congregation area, and queens that aren't in their hives will come to this area for mating. And it's it's pretty really it's, wacky, isn't it? It is I forgot incredibly that. wacky. Yeah. And yeah. Um, when How do they even find these things out, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's quite what astonishing. And the and the queen has to mate with about you know twelve to sixteen drones. And if she goes back to her hive and she hasn't mated with that many, they send her on her way again, and off she goes and <laughs> mates. And and then that's all the mating that she does for her entire life. And she'll just come back and and lay eggs and I'm just quite astonished by the life of bees and it's anything you look up and and sort of say out loud or tell anyone you just think to yourself it almost doesn't sound possible mm, and that's exactly right so weird it's a fantastic world in in that real true meaning of fantastic in that it's like a fantasy yeah it's bizarre absolutely and the queen knows like she knows whether to lay uh, female eggs or male eggs really? by the size of the cell that the workers have created. Wow. And she measures yeah. it with her antenna. And if it's a Good wide grief. cell, she'll lay a male egg. And if it's a smaller cell, she'll lay a female egg. That's amazing. It's, it's quite it's crazy. Yeah. 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 So how many hives do you have? I only have one. I, I've had more in the past when my bees have swarmed and I've collected them and had them there. But then I gradually integrated them back in together. I think I gave one away at some stage. Yeah, so you've got to fluctuate a bit during the swarming season. Yeah. But I've tried to keep stable at one for the last couple of years just because it made my life simpler. Yeah, and and do you get the honey from it? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, last year we had, oh, look, I started to lose track. It It was between 50 and 60 kilos. It was really good. But this year, m- most people have been complaining it's been a really lean year. Yeah. And I don't know that we'll get 30. We won't quite get 30 this year. But also we really needed to requeen last year, probably because of that. Look, and I'm really not a beekeeping expert, I have to say, but probably because of the, the for one reason, that the queen – um, is not she doesn't lay as well as she gets older. Yeah, and our queen's right. probably coming up to three years old, two and a half years old at least. So mm. I really should have have mm. a requeen. Yeah, yeah. Um, now one more thing for Bishop's Court is we've got uh, two oh. f- uh, we've got two free double passes. No, sorry, one free double pass to give away to a caller. Um, so you can go on either Saturday or Sunday. First in best dressed. So I give that number out uh, and you speak to Jan and give her your details and we'll get that double pass out to you. It's nine four one nine zero one double five. So I'll say that again. Nine four one nine zero one double five. So if you give us a call if you want to go to Bishop's Court for a double pass and we'll organise that to be posted out to you. That's right, yeah. So I guess you're gonna be going, Chloe. Uh yeah. Um, I've been <laughs> I get my friend to call to up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely gonna go. I've been hanging out for this Me to too. be open. I walk past it all the time going to the football because it's not far from the MCG. So I don't think I said the address properly. It's 84 to 122 Clarendon Street. So it's just around the corner from, from the MCG. And I walked past it and I really want to go. It's a beautiful old can. bluestone house. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. And the garden's quite big. And obviously it's got the name out the front, has it? Yeah. Made, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the name's on a plaque next to the driveway, but it's a huge, it almost takes up the block. Um, so there's a big bluestone fence or it's, yeah. Yep. Looking over the Treasury Garden, so it's terrific. It's just beautiful. Oh, it sounds yeah. good. And um, we should just mention that the Coburg Food Race is sold out. <coughs> so even though we don't know what it is, exactly. it's very, very popular. <laughs> A lot of people do know what it is. Apparently, um, it's part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Uh, tickets for next Saturday um, are still available. So um, 
Yeah. So, but the food, but the food race is actually. Oh, sold for out. oh, the, oh, the food race for Saturday. I think that means the food race for Saturday, the first of April, is sold out. Yeah, well, I wish we had a bit more information yeah, about what the food race was. Bit, a little bit confusing. <laughs> However. Um, and, of course, we've got um, the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show starting on Wednesday. And, yes. And everyone's been busily um, setting up their stands and creating their show gardens. So that's um, all preparations are underway there. And that's on from this Wednesday, the 29th of March, runs through till Sunday, the 2nd of April. It's 9 to 5 every day except for Friday when it's open from 9 till 9.30. So they're going for the Twilight Gardens, which will be a lovely People would experience. Really like that. Yeah, yeah, I think they'd be terrific, especially mm. the show gardens themselves. Yeah. That, that'd be mm. Was that the first time last year that they did that? Yeah. Obviously went well. Yeah, yeah. So And that's uh, $29.90 for adults, groups of 10 or more, $24 each. Uh, concessions twenty five ninety and a family sixty five and under fourteen is free. So um, yeah, get along there. There'll be a lot of going on, a lot going on. All the the gardens and the landscaper gardens and the student gardens and the hanging baskets, which gardens. are always popular. I love the hanging baskets. Um, yeah, yeah. So you guys will be heading on. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Anyone involved at all? No, I'm just they, going along no, to enjoy it. Yeah, Thanks goodness, I'm it. just wandering around looking at things. This yeah, year. yeah, it must be so. I've never sure done a display or anything, but it must be I've so intense display. leading up to it of getting exhausting. everything in and yeah, mm. really exhausting. Yeah, and having to build the garden above the ground yeah. as well. It's something. It's a real feat. It is, yeah, just managing to block everything mm. in and. Mm. Um, mm. But it, it really is a fantastic chance to get along and see um, new cultivars that are mm. out new there. Plants, you know, there's yeah. Yeah, there's mm. a lot of there's a lot of um, um, stands. You know, the, the production nursery stands um, where I work is um, they run an online mail order company for thousands of um of different plants and that's dyes delightful plants and um so they'll be there with all of their it's a great gorgeous, chance to pick up yeah. lots and lots of yeah. well, lots of plants that you can't always buy as a member yeah. of the public <clears throat> nurseries bring those along and you can browse through them as well there's nothing like looking at them face yeah. to face the plants yeah yeah so it's terrific i mean because in in nurseries really there's well in a lot of nurseries there's the same old same old plants mm, to, to, mm. to get along and just you know get to talk to the growers and people that really know these plants intimately i think it's a, a terrific opportunity and get hold of rare things and also yeah. i really love the more unusual tools too. You can get hold of some great quality tools that you just can't buy them except online. Yeah. So you can actually go there, grab the thing, feel it in your hand, and think, "Oh, I quite like that trail. Yeah, I yeah. might get one of those." Yeah, yeah. 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 Although the trouble with those ones, especially with the mechanical ones, like the the you know the guy that sells the nibbler. Which oh, yeah. is to, to cut metal, and they yeah. make it look so easy. And I bought <laughs> yeah. one, and it's actually a fantastic tool. For, I use it mostly for cutting uh, corrugated iron, which mm. of course takes a while, but it really is terrific. And it, it, it doesn't leave a sharp edge, which is probably oh. the most important thing. It leaves a blunt I've edge. Seen that nibbler guy? So many different I things. I know, <laughs> and he just makes everything look so easy. But um, yeah, so that, that's yeah, we'll definitely be heading along there and, and catching up with people and listening yeah. to. Yeah, it's not nice just to bump into. People. Yeah, mm. it? and there'll, there'll be plenty of good talks on, of course. So um, I know that some people say, "Oh, you know, you have to pay money to get in and just there's a lot in buy, there, though. buy a lot it's, of yeah. things." You know, you just go paying money to go and spend money, basically. You can <laughs> even just go <laughs> and abs- you, absorb what's in the, the in the newer bigger gardens. The floral display. And I was just going to say the floral display, display is spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, there's botanical art the in the upstairs bit as well. Yeah. Oh, I've there's a lot of yeah. I went for the first time last year. I went upstairs in the the exhibition building mm. and there's um like 
There's more um, stands. There's more stands and yeah. there's botanical illustration exhibitions oh, up there. Those. There's yeah. you know, there's a few different better, societies around better. Melbourne and yeah, mm. there um there was heaps of stuff. There was some beautiful, beautiful illustrations. Mm. So that's upstairs, so Yeah. Definitely where the Devonshire tea is, so I had Devonshire tea. <laughs> oh, is that why, is that that's why, why you discovered it? Yeah. But it's a gorgeous building too. I mean, just oh, to be in there I love and that you know, be part of it and think, wow, I live in yeah. Melbourne and this is part of it. Yeah, it's, it's the most incredible building. Mm. Yeah, I. That's yeah. I could see the roof and like the roof is all it's um it's planks. I thought it was kind of plaster or something like that. But it's if you have a look close look at the roof, it's all like timber planks that have been painted. Mm. It's not a plaster roof. I don't know what they would have used. Instead, but um, yeah, yeah, hmm. it's very, very interesting building. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we should probably invite listeners to give us a call. Um, this is the Three CR Gardening Show. My name is Ab Bishop, and with me in the studio is Chloe Foster from the Melbourne Zoo, so she can answer any zoo questions. No, that's false advertising. And you also got another hat from the Cranbourne Garden. So yes. we'll talk about that as well. And um, Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. And if you want to give us a buzz, the number is. Nine four one nine zero one double five. Yeah. So, what is your other hat at Cranbourne Gardens? Um, well, there's the as most botanic gardens have. They've got a friends group. So, um, I'm a yeah, member of the committee of the friends group, and and I help organise activities, sort of raise funds for projects for the gardens. So, um, we had the we had the discovery day at Melbourne Zoo and Royal Park yesterday. Um, we do, you know, we organise trips and and all that. Uh, and the plant sale. We had plant we had a plant recently. sale last go, weekend. Oh, I think they hit fifteen thousand dollars. Oh, fantastic! Which is so exciting. That's a lot it's, of plants. <laughs> there is a lot of plants. Yeah, I mean, especially and a lot of the things they grow in, you know, four inch little forestry tubes. Yeah. Um, We're talking selling hundreds or maybe even a thousand plants. Oh, probably a thousand. Be up to a thousand, thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, be about a thousand. The growing friends. So. You know, the Cranbourne Friends, there's a few different little subgroups, um, you know, the illustrators and the fabricators and um, the herbarium collectors, and then there's the growing friends, and they um, each group does a fantastic amount, you know, of, of fundraising and, and work for the friends, but the growing friends is a really vibrant, large group um, that grow a huge range of native plants. So you get the material from the botanic gardens or um, seeds from elsewhere and yeah, we have plant sales three times a year, and last weekend was a um, big plant sale at the gardens, and they raised a huge amount of money. They're, all, they're just getting more and more popular as as they go on, and people sort of in the in the local community are starting to know about yeah. know when they're on, terrific, um, and know where they are. So we'd be really uh, disseminating <clears throat> a lot of amazing native plants into the surrounding area and getting people to appreciate yep. them so it's yeah. going to hopefully improve people's gardens yeah really. yeah i mean the gardens works does you know really good working relationship with the city of casey down there and mm. um it'd be good to do more and and sort of integrate and encourage people a bit more and, mm. and you do see that it is getting more popular and you see that with visitors that come into the gardens that i've spoken to and um they really want to they want little birds that come into their garden mm. and you know the way to do that is to you know put a prickly bush in or something mm, like that mm, mm. um so yeah people are getting and i think just in general people are getting want to have wildlife in their gardens like you know the really mm. cute little birds and not just the big currawongs and yeah and indian miners and whatever they want to in, in, they want to invite the little birds and they want to learn how to do that um so yeah you know native plants or local plants and 
um, the growing friends can provide that service. <laughs> and does Cranbourne also um, give talks and sort of workshops on how to create a bird-friendly and fauna-friendly garden, those sorts of we things? We have done workshops with that subject in the past yeah. um, and they've been really, really popular. Yeah. A couple of years ago we did a plant and insect relationship workshop um, and, look, the, the workshops that we run – uh, well, I think they're fantastic, <laughs> but we get a really big. We manage to get a really big range of people with you know in their field of expertise yep. to come and speak. So, um, the plant and animal, a uh, plant and insect workshop was. We had someone from the Melbourne Museum come, and um, you know we we usually get someone from the Botanic Gardens to speak as well. Who they're all very smart people that work there. So, yeah. so worth keeping an eye on the calendar for, yes. for Cranbourne Gardens. Yeah. Yeah, 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 worth keeping an eye on the calendar. We do have a workshop coming up, which I might be able to tell yeah, you about. Yeah, for sure. um, this one's on backyard Aussie trees. So a lot of people just think of um, gum trees and wattle trees when they think of Australian trees, but there is such a huge range of Australian trees out there that aren't just like you know, boring, grey, straggly trees. Um, so we want to tell people about that. I want to show people about that. So um, on the 30th of April, uh, Sunday the 30th, we've got a full-day workshop, and it is at Cranbourne, at the Cranbourne Gardens in the auditorium. Um, we've, got, we've managed to get um, David Cantrell, who's the Chief Botanist and Director of the Herbarium, the, the National Herbarium. He's coming to speak uh, about... It's, um, carbon accounting mm-hmm. with trees mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in Melbourne, which is a project he's working on at the moment. Um, Alistair Watt, who is uh, a, a gymnosperm or a conifer expert coming up from the Otways to speak. And um, Greg Moore, who was on Gardening mm, Australia last week, was, yes. um, is is an arboricultural expert. Mm. He's, been, he's, he's taught at Burnley for many, many years. Um, he's coming to speak as well. Um, which is really exciting. It'll be really exciting to have those three all with doctor and professor in front of their names. So, um, and Roger Elliott, who um, listeners will know, we're talking about um, Alocasurina. It's a great lineup. It is a good lineup, and I, I've, we've put it together. We we just want people to sort of learn about the different sort of trees. You know, there's the. I'm just trying to think of a few. The, the firewheel tree, the Stenocarpus, mm-hmm. has got mm. really shiny green leaves yeah. and this weird-looking bright red flower, um, which people wouldn't think would be native. But, you know, it's in the Proteaceae family really, you know, the insects love it when it's flowering and it's a nice, shiny, bright green tree, which a lot of people don't associate with Australian plants. Um, And there's, you know, a lot of sort of things like that, heaps of different gymnosperms that grow that don't get huge. That's another thing too, size. People are sort of afraid to um, plant um, large trees because backyards are getting smaller. Mm, so there's heaps of options. There's heaps of small, um, even calistamins and grevilleas that you can prune. To, it to might be a large shrub, shape. but you can prune, yeah. it, mm. prune it as a tree and um, just sort of things like that. So it's Sunday the 30th of April, um, $65 for friends members and $70 for non-members. And we've also got a student price as well. So Students are thirty dollars. Good opportunity for students in yeah. horticulture to learn. Yeah, a big range of and yeah. even to come along and, and see how the speakers present because True. you know mm, if, you, if mm. it's something that mm. you're going to get into later in life, just seeing mm. how people actually do it. That's you know right. the good points and bad points. Yeah, you can, you can always learn something. Yeah, yep. yeah. So um, for more information, you can send an email to bookings at rbgfriendscranburn.org.au 
or you can call me because I'm organising it. <laughs> My number is 97253569. But not for um, the next couple of hours. Yeah, not for the next couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting workshop. It's a little bit different to what we normally do. We normally do genus workshops and, you know, plant and insect, those sort of things. But, yeah, there's there's lots of Australian trees out there that, that people don't know about. I so. think it's a terrific idea because, you know, it, just, it does, it puts a – more of a diversity into our gardens. Mm. You know, one of the smaller trees that I really appreciate is the Melia azadarac, yep. the white mm. cedar, which, yep. you know, one of the few deciduous trees that we've got. And that's, yep. you know, a terrific tree for a courtyard mm. or something. And yep. it's, yeah, got those. I mean, it does look quite exotic in a way, doesn't that's it? Yeah, it does. a memory for me, that plant. That yeah, tree I was going to say, it's all around the zoo. <clears throat> well, it used to be, I don't know if it still is, but it was right down the main drive when I was there planting annuals underneath the John Arnott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know it's a really old. Old, strange memory. Yeah. But yeah, and the Melia Zedarac uh, fruit dropping. Yep. And it, it, apparently mm. it's quite toxic to, to stock, so I'm actually surprised that they've got it at the zoo. Yeah, it's not along yeah. Main Drive anymore, but we do I have some. Yeah. Yeah. The possums still eat it, well, so it can't be toxic neem. to possums. It's neem. That's, that is neem. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's oh. neem tree. Yeah. He, used to tell me, he used to say to me, no, this is actually an insecticide, you know. It hasn't been, it hadn't been developed then at all. That's yeah. how long ago that was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should mention that the um, tickets for Bishop's Court have gone, um, so you can um, stop ringing up for those. And it's but time still go along. Yes, still go along. And we should go dollars. to uh, Ruth in Bentley East. Good morning, Ruth. Oh, good morning. Um, I wonder, please, if somebody can help me. I've got two different areas in my garden where I've noticed and over the last few weeks, the newer growth is yellowing and the veins are standing out in that dark green colour. Just what, what sort of um, shrubs or plantings do you have, Ruth? Um, one of them is a blueberry in a very, very large tub, um, bigger than a wine barrel. Um, but the drainage in there is quite good. And in the other area, it's... Um, uh, two mollus azaleas and a Californian tree anemone. Okay. And that area is um, it's very sandy in spite of all the leaves and everything I've been putting on over the years. It's still quite sandy, so drainage is not an issue there either. Look, it, it certainly sounds <clears throat> like a, um, a food Mm. problem. I, I'm going to suggest yeah, that they ones. are yeah, all extremely hungry. Mm. Yep. Um, sandy soil, as Karen was just mentioning, it's, um, you know, food, the, anything that you put on any organic matter breaks down really quickly and leaches through. Um, so with sandy soil, it's just a, a non-stop job, really, just bringing in yeah. organic matter. And, you know, you could even have a bit of um, liquid feed as well. You know, some of the um, the fish um, emulsions, put that on yeah. just for a quick feed as well. But, yeah, just continually needing to add that organic matter. Mm, and okay. s- some slow-release fertiliser too. Probably yeah. wouldn't yes, I... I did put, uh, I might mention a brand name, but it's the little black pellety things. Um, they put it out more for roses, but um, I figured, well, can't do any harm um, as far as 
extra feed. No, and, and that's exactly right. Day. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you could also put on, you know, a more of a complete fertiliser as well just, yeah, for the, um, just for the ornamental shrubs, whereas your blueberry, I mean, um, Karen, would you just say that, you know, potentially that might need change, the potting mix being changed, you know? Yeah, it yeah, sounds well, like it's, it's finished its finished its, it's nutrients. It's a very there. big pub. I, I couldn't change it. I use compost on it, and um, I've got all sorts of manures. And I was actually given two bags of horse manure. Um, I wouldn't put it on straight away. I was thinking of sort of dumping it and letting it stand for a while. That's um, a good idea. Is that going to be too rich or? I would definitely let it break down mm. for a while. Yeah. And, and, of course, the problem with horse manure is it has, always has so many weed seeds in it. Yeah, mm. uh, it's, it's supposed to have come from a stable. That's why I thought oh, I'll keep it segregated and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you could always make a tea out of it as well, mm. put it in a um, – I'm not sure how much you've got, but if it's practical, put it in a in a hessian sack and put it in a large uh, plastic rubbish bin, fill it up with water, and then just use the actual liquid to, to water on everything. Okay, okay, all right. Then and well. there's, there's also the other issue that often when, when um, you get – horse manure from a stable that it can have vermicide in it so it can have the effect of killing off some of the worms in your garden because the horses have been wormed yes okay so breaking it down mixing mixing it in with your compost Mm. yeah and trying to break it down quite a lot is probably a really good idea trying to buff trying Mm. to moderate it a little bit but don't forget blueberries you can really treat them like azaleas so and yeah slow release but try to get some of the organic slow release with a lot of trace elements and seaweeds in them and yes, other yes, goodies. Yes, I've got... you got um, all that? Mm. Yeah, I've got all that. Yeah, I've got a very big garden and I, I use all sorts of stuff. And do you use rock different... dust at all, Ruth? Oh, that was the other thing. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes, I do. Yeah, because mm. I was going to say that would be terrific to mm-hmm. add to. Yeah, so, oh, I mean, okay. what all I can suggest is just keep adding as much. I mean, you really couldn't put too much organic matter on and um, i know <laughs> yeah yeah and as chloe was saying you know the, the the organic pellets as well now with the rock dust i always no, no matter where i look or ask um how much are you supposed to scatter around i personally just use a handful you know over a few square meters it really it doesn't yeah. need a lot they are trace uh, minerals yep. so the plants don't need a lot of them um but yep. just do it once a year and just uh, use a handful over yeah you know maybe two three square oh, yeah. meters yeah that's about what i do then yeah i okay. do the same so, yeah. yeah it sounds like you're doing the right thing mm. so it's um uh, just never ending that's all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Good true therapy. okay right. thank you so much thanks ruth bye, bye for now bye and we've got Anne in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm interested to know how you grow grapes. Well, uh, Karen is sitting here with <laughs> um, containers full of grapes, so I'm going to guess that she might be able to give us some hints. Do you mean from the, do you mean from the beginning? Do you mean how to prune them? You uh, might need to be a little well, bit more specific. I've got a fence and I've got some soil and I've got a little bit of trellis. And I've got a couple of grape seeds, so what do I do? Oh, grape seeds? No, no. No, you. Oh, I see what you're saying. No. Look, no, you really need to buy 
a or, or get a cutting from somebody. Actually, it's not quite cutting time yet, but if you if you go around to your friends and neighbours now and see who has grapefruit that you like, then you can take some cuttings from them in winter, some hardwood cuttings. Have you ever taken hardwood cuttings before, Anne? No. So this is grapes, not grapefruit. You wanted to grow grapes, aren't you? Not yes, grapefruit. That's yeah, you right. need to be grown from cuttings. They're really, really easy to grow, but you do need to grow from cuttings. From seed, right. you don't know what you're going to get. No, if you haven't got any neighbours, because there's so many units now and not, and not houses in the street. I Pop along to your local nursery. Have got any vines, dear? Pop along to your nursery and buy a grape plant from them. A grape plant. Yes. Right, and what nursery would you recommend? Bulleen Art and Garden Centre is a really good one. That's not uh, Oak Park. Maybe go to come to Ceres in or go to Ceres in um, Lee Street, Brunswick, or Vasili's Garden in Munro Street, Coburg. That's a lot closer to you. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, what are, you, the, are you near? I might be getting confused with. Aren't you in the northern suburbs? Yes, Oak Park is in the northern suburbs. Vasili's Garden in Munro Street, Coburg, will have great plants for you. Vasili's Garden, Munro Street, Coburg. Munro Street. It's one major block south of Bell Street, near at the back of Sydney Road. Right, about, you can get there on the public transport. Yeah, there'll be a bus that go past there. There's a train line that goes to Bell Street and otherwise buses. Right. I don't know your exact address. You'll have to check out your local bus route. You wouldn't know what number, would you? Oh, no, I don't because I don't live in no, a park. What, I'm no, sorry. No, what number <laughs> Garden is. Oh, uh, look, it's really, really easy to find. It's, it's, um, if you get to Sydney Road and Munro Street, it's approximately a one-minute walk from oh, Sydney Road. that's okay. So it's not uh, hiding somewhere. No. It's definitely not hiding. There's signs everywhere. Right. Well, um, I'll go along and I'll get a great plan. They'll have several to choose from. Because uh, we love grapes, but... Um, You'll get a lot uh, better success rate from buying a named variety than you will from growing from a seed. Yes, because growing from seed can be problematical, I understand Well, that. you get unknown... You get an unknown quantity, so you may grow for years and get something that you don't like, and that's probably not the best way to actually grow grapes to eat. Right. Okay then, well thank you for that and while I'm here I give myself a plug. Um, my book, Poetic Reflections, will be coming out soon and it will retail for around $20 at places like Readings most likely and um, it's an insightful look at life. There's 26 poems. Any of them about gardening, Anne? Uh, or your garden? No, I'm working on the next book. It's coming up. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that sounds terrific. And who's published that? Sid uh, Harter Publications. Yep. And, and so when, when, when can we expect to see that on the shelves? Uh, probably in the next month or so. Terrific. And it's called Reflections? Po- poetic Reflections. Fantastic. Oh, that, that sounds terrific. How many poems are in it? 2060. And any illustrations or photos? Yes, little illustrations that my brother put on his computer. Fantastic. Oh, that, that sounds awesome. A, how, how long has it taken you to write? Uh, probably about a couple of years. Yep, terrific. 
Oh, that, that sounds really good. You'll have to send us one into the studio and we can read a poem out. Uh, I might come in one day and bring you one in. That's better still, isn't it? That sounds terrific. Okay, then, dear. Well, thank you very much for your information and your help. Happy grape growing, Anne. Yeah, good thank on you, Anne. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, that sounds terrific. Yeah. But, yeah, what um, good advice, Karen, growing grapes from a grape plant rather than a seed. Although, I mean, any, growing anything from a pip is kind of exciting. It, it is fun, yes. It is fun, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but you just don't know what you're getting. If you if you actually want fruit. Actually, my, my neighbour was coming along the street to tell me that I should come and have a look at his avocado plant. So I thought I'd pop down and have a look. And, of course, he had one uh, one random avocado seed that was in his raised vegetable bed that's almost a metre high and I said to him you could not have put it in a better position if you tried and of course you know after all the work I've taken to get avocados growing in my garden he's just had a pip grow where he didn't want it to and it's got two fruit (laughs) naturally (laughs) it is so annoying (laughs) when your garden was open recently I went to visit it Your, your whole street there's really nice gardens everyone must is everyone gardeners there in your um, street? Are there's you all... quite a few. The all the olive trees are either Italian or Greek families. Yeah, and so there's quite a few in that. Quite a few Italian and Greek gardeners, and so they're all keen food gardeners. Pretty much. Oh no! Now there's some younger, younger families coming in who also grow food. But when I first moved there, only the Italian and Greek neighbours grew yeah. food. Besides me, and so no, there are some nice gardens, and that, there's actually a bit of a um, at avocado forest project I've got going on. No, no, not a competition. I'm trying to get neighbours adjoining me to put avocados in their back gardens yeah. so that we can all get pollination for each other. So I was telling my neighbour Emilio with his annoyingly randomly planted <laughs> avocado. <laughs> uh, but there's yeah, there's a couple of no- there's a few neighbours between him and myself. And one two doors down, she's got an av- I got her an avocado tree. And we're going to plant it. She's not quite ready. She's doing a lot of renovation. And the neighbour between us, I've already bought one for her garden as well. <laughs> we're working on her. I think we yeah. finally got her to let us plant it because she doesn't want it. She doesn't want an avocado tree. And we said, look, we'll plant it. We'll pay for it. We'll put it in. We'll look after it. <laughs> yeah. Because we'll it's, going to, it. it's going to pollinate. Well, it's going to, oh, she can eat it. I don't even mind, you know. <laughs> but it's going to pollinate Kim's and mine. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I've already got one too for the neighbour behind me. So I've got these plans to go and speak to people and get this little avocado forest happening at the mm. back because if we can get this pollination happening better. So there's a specific mm. type of, of pollination for avocados? Uh, no, it's just a matter of putting pollinators in, putting trees that will pollinate each other. So yep. getting a variety of trees. Like I've got a bacon, so I've bought a a, um, a has. I've got a has myself too, but I've got a has for my neighbour. And then I think it's, um, is it Pinkerton for one of my other neighbours? So mm. I'm trying to get plants that all pollinate each other and yep. go and go behind, to go behind the houses because they're reasonably good sized trees. Do yeah. they flower so, at similar times? Is it? That yeah, these are ones that pollinate each other. So yep. from the same pollination group. Yep. So, so bacon is usually thought of as being pollinated by has, but you can also put in Pinkerton too. And the other thing I'm trying to work through is ones that fruit at different times of the year. So we'll mm. gradually have... You know, this is a, this is a long term project. Yeah, <laughs> but much better to grow at the back. And I mean, there's a reason for that too. Over time, because there's a tram line at the at the street behind us, which is Melville Road. You know, the policy, the tram planning policy, is to allow multi story units, which are not currently behind us, but who knows that could happen. So gradually, the lovely old heritage houses. I mean, I don't know whether that's 
current council policy, but as we know, these things change. Mm. And south of Moreland Road, there's a lot of multi-storey developments happening. So it's only a matter of time, if you ask me, that they'll come. And I I don't want the thought of, you know, this multi-storey thing behind my garden. So the idea is to plant your avocados now for screening. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I think that they're a wonderful plant to... When people have dark areas between sheds or houses, you know, to me they're the perfect inner city plant. So is that more, is it for protection? Because sometimes avocados aren't that great to grow in Melbourne because it's not, because of the cold winter, is that? Um, It's to do with cold, but it's also to do with heat and sun. So they're they're ideal for sheltered niches, really. So where people have dark areas created by, you know, the neighbours putting up a second storey or, you know, it's places that you usually don't associate with food growing, that's perfect for avocados because yeah, okay. they're rainforest plants, then they can grow up sheltered in that, sheltered from the cold, sheltered from the, the hot sun, mm-hmm. and then they can kind of punch through up into the light or even if they don't, even just getting that overhead sun, they will grow relatively well that way because they are rainforest plants. So I think so, they're perfect I, I mean, avocados, they're quite big trees, aren't they? <laughs> Um, they can be. There is a there are, is a dwarf one called Wurtz or Wurtz, and that only gets to about three meters. But yep. uh, uh, bacon sort of upright up to about five meters. Hass is more spreading, yep. so that's one reason we're kind of trying to interest another neighbour who's got not as many plants growing in her back garden. <laughs> put that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, in South Africa English. where I come from. They um, there's avocado trees everywhere, of course, mm, and you know they're huge. They can be big. Yeah, Yeah, they're really huge. So I can see why maybe people are a bit reticent if they don't know, you know, maybe in cultivation or in, you know, suburbia they don't grow as big as they do in their natural environment. They can be pruned too. My neighbour, the one who has it in his raised vegetable bed, which he he said, I didn't really want it there. And I said, look, because you've given it perfect drainage and Mm. perfect root, a perfect root zone you've actually done the right thing accidentally but he said oh you can prune them can't you and I said yes and he'd been pruning his and I've been pruning mine and they seem to respond really well well diggers have a hedge of them don't they oh I think you could be right do but I I wonder if they fruit yeah they don't seem to have a problem fruiting after they've been pruned okay no no I don't know enough about excuse me um um, how hard you can prune them, but look, you just seem to be able to prune them. I mean, I've got mine in a relatively narrow space, and I'm still getting fruit low. Yeah, yeah, sounds terrific. Mm. Now, mm. you've recently taken out a tree. Oh yes, yes, so I know. You've it's big changed news in the whole small di- garden. Yes, yeah, changed the whole <laughs> dynamic of your garden. Tell and, us. and it's also quite sad too. I mean, you know, you can't ever take out a tree in a garden. I don't think without feeling a, a tinge of regret and sadness. But my apricot, after 25 years or so of good service. Um, apricot. It was actually a trivet. I got it from the Burnley Nursery, but when, when I was a student there, because there were no more more parks left, and I will, we were replacing it with a dwarf more park, which is still not really dwarf. It gets up to about four meters or so. And I was explaining before the show that I trained it with information from Alan Gilbert, who was at that stage working at the Garden Advisory Centre when I was a student at Burnley, after my days at the zoo. <laughs> and so, therefore, it had a very weeping habit. And it, you can't use those methods for peaches and nectarines, but you can use them quite successfully on peaches and on oh, sorry, and apricots and plums. And so this tree reached out really long arms over. I'm doing big wavy arm movements here <laughs> <laughs> over major parts of the back garden. I would have said it stretched probably four to six meters in every direction, wow. including over the back fence. It was huge, really, really huge. Like at least five meters in every direction. Mm. So I mean, a massive, massive tree. 
So it reached over the neighbours and their, their nectarine tree reaches over mine, so we've always shared our fruit that way, or did until this summer. Look, this summer it only produced 20 or 30 fruits, so it, it had been losing also a limb every year, probably from fungal diseases, and the limbs were splitting. Now that's one thing, because I didn't thin, and so therefore used to get, as I said, about a quarter of a tonne of fruit in its heyday mm. a year, quite a lot of fruit. You know, and also I used to follow that method of picking before they were too ripe, so mm-hmm. that I'd bring them inside and ripen because I was doing a lot of dehydrating, and that method's quite okay for for that because dehydrating tends to um, condense or or um, focus the sugars. I'm getting the wrong word there, but you know it increases the sugar in the fruit when it's been condensed, like when you know dehydrated. So it really wasn't as much of an issue if they're slightly tart. Uh, you can use them for jams that way as well. Maybe not as perfect for fresh fruit but you can leave some so what I used to do was pick from the top and all of all the top area of the tree because birds are much more reluctant to go underneath the the um, overhanging branches so when you're growing apricots or trees in those really um, you know arching branches like that you create an area where it's naturally more easy to protect your fruit because the birds are much more unwell much more much less willing I should say to go underneath because it's quite scary for them to go into that lower area and you can leave your fruit in that way till it's really, really ripe. And so the last fruit you pick from the tree that's in those areas is just so incredibly sweet. Mm. So even a Trevat was an amazing flavour, which, you know, it's not known for, you know, incredible flavour. And, you know, as soon as anything would get red up the top or get a bird peck in it, I would take it off mm. because birds flying overhead, one of my cousins told me, see bird pecks as a sign to really hone in. And so if I religiously took that fruit off every day, and, you know, cut that off or throw it to the chicken or whatever, chickens. Um, and then I'd spread out my ripening fruit on plates inside the house and trays so we'd have it on every surface, <laughs> every flat surface in the house. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really reliable tree for years. It, I think it fruited every, every year. It barely had a year off, and so that's possibly why it had a slightly shorter lifespan at about 25 years. It's, I'm going to go and visit one of my relatives. I've only had one, besides my grandfather, who was an orchardist who died when I was 11, so I didn't get a lot of chance to learn from him besides you know, absorbing lots of different vegetable growing information just by sort of watching and seeing as a child. Things like, you know, around strawberries, he used to put little bamboo, really small bamboo stakes from his bamboo that he'd keep for things like this, and he used to wind strings around. And so as the blackbirds came down to get the... Like he made a little maze over the top mm. of the strawberries. So as the bird, blackbirds came down to try and get the strawberries, they might get their legs tangled and they'd get get scared and fly off. Oh. So, you know, he didn't explain to me what he was doing. I just did that thing as children do. We're yep. really absorbing that information and seeing the sunflowers drying in the garage, held you know, dry, um, just hanging up to dry in the garage, things like that. But um, I've got one orchardist relative, um, some sort of distant cousin, and he's now pulled out his orchard, but I'm going to go speak to him while he's still going well and really get some good information you know things like how long do trees last for because I've had my garden for quite a while been really fortunate in that in that way my parents helped me buy this when I was an apprentice gardener at the zoo um (laughs) and things like well how long can you expect an apricot tree to last for he said oh they can last for 50 years but then perhaps because I was using those those methods because I wasn't spraying either don't forget so I mean my tree might have been much more prone to fungal diseases because I've never sprayed I I don't think I've ever ever even sprayed copper spray maybe once as it was starting to get some fungal diseases so perhaps I've shortened its life 
you know, I can't say I've only ever grown one apricot tree, you know, mm. for many, many years. Mm. So I want to get some of that inside information, things like how many litres of water, because I remember reading that when I was a student at Burnley, that commercial orchards, I think it was in one of our irrigation subjects, use, you know, they'll allocate something like 200 litres of water a day per mm. tree. And I just want some of this information, and I'll, I'll get it from him too, whether that's correct or not. So I'm going to go and visit him at Easter time. Because these are the sort of things that when you're advising people on their home garden, when they're saying, well, why don't I get enough fruit from this? Mm. Why don't I do, you know, why does this not work? People just have no idea how intensive agriculture, yep. and this is going back to that book launch on sustainable agriculture this Thursday, you know, it's um, home gardening is such a in, incredibly sustainable method of, or sustainable agriculture and permaculture, and especially home gardening too, you're just not using that much water in your, in your garden and you're still getting massive amounts of fruit. Mm-hmm. So you're really lowering the, the um, carbon footprint of your food massively when you grow at home because people never put that much water. 200 litres a day, that's... That's well, I know that citrus actually can use up to 600 litres a day. There you go. Really and if you've ever read, you know, yeah. and you've, as a researcher, would have come yeah. across these things. And I only get the chance to do tiny bits of research. But that's why I'm going to go and speak to him. He's been a stone fruit grower. But I really want to get some of these facts and figures down. Well, just because it's good to hear it from somebody too. I know you can research too. But um, I don't think the home gardener just has any appreciation for this and how um, what, a, what a good job they're doing, really. That's mm. the whole thing. So, Absolutely. Mm. So why did you take your tree out? Was it? Oh, healthy? sorry. Yeah, that was a very healthy? long rave, wasn't it? <laughs> was sorry. it healthy? Apart, I mean, <clears> oh no, it was, get, it was losing rate. a limb a year. Yeah, and it was getting big splits in the limbs with you know gummy sort of <clears throat> sap coming out yep. of it. And look, I didn't get it analysed to see if it had gummosis, but I assumed that it did. Mm. And because it only, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I've got a really big frog in the throat today. Um, it only produced 20 or 30 fruit this year. So the fruit production went mm. down massively. Yeah. So I thought, well, it's not going to get any better. You know, it was in decline in senescence, as the polite word is for trees as they go into <laughs> yeah. their old age. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not, but I'm probably am. I, definitely am. I feel like I am at the moment. I don't think so, Glory. <laughs> Disregard her. <laughs> so I love that term. Anyway, the poor old tree was in senescence. So I took it out. And I know that a lot of people have come to my open gardens. I had seven in six years. That's why I'm having a break for two years. And um, I know they came to see, well, a lot of people did come to see what, edible plants you can grow in the shade and as someone pointed out to me before this year I had about 85% shade in my garden really and yet I still had 200 edible and useful plants and some Mm. of them of course caused the shade because they were the Mm. overstories but I like to see trees well you know as big as I could get in my garden and I I love big trees Mm. you know I mean okay I'm not growing trees like they can at Bishop's Court or what you're suggesting at Cranbourne but you know great if people can put those in yeah but at least if you can get that overstory that over canopy that gives shade and the original reason I let trees fruit trees get big in my garden years ago was because I wanted to filter the air Mm. coming from the country I just thought the city air was really stinky and it has really filtered the air in my garden and you walk through and and it cools it it cool it uh, yeah the urban heat island effect wasn't even spoken about then yeah but it it cools you know there's so many uses for trees besides just producing fruit and you can be so much more efficient than I am in my garden you know I tend to just let things be exuberant and I really like that Mm. but um, you know, they, yeah, they lower the heat, heat, urban heat island effect. They um, they filter the air. They provide habitat for birds and you know, multitude of insects. One year, I had quite a lot of mosquitoes. So, um, in a lack of understanding of how things were working, I got a little mozzie zapper thing, and it was one that attracted insects, mosquitoes by light, and then they would drown in a little bit of soapy water at the base of the trap. And I thought, oh, that sounds really 
innocuous. And the first night I used it, I found lace wings. Oh. And so I got rid of that thing. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea how many lace wings I had in my garden, brown and green, the green being non-native and the brown being native. And I was just amazed. And then I started to read about them and through finding them like that and feeling really terrible that I'd drowned some and reading, you know, reading about how they navigate by the moon and so noticing when I put a strong light outside to maybe go out and get the washing at night or something that here were these little insects buzzing around and around and around this light. And so, you know, it's a real reminder to people not to use strong lighting in your garden if possible unless and and here's a a bit of a really rambling on a bit here but (laughs) one thing is leading to another but one woman did tell me at my open garden this year a method she's been trying to dissuade possums which is using solar i assume flashing christmas lights okay really i haven't actually used it because my apple tree i just picked all the last apples because i was so fed up with them but um yeah apparently because they don't like straight light strong lights because of course they're nocturnal and I think if you put one strong light on, they just get used to it. They seem to not um, not care. But she maintains that flashing lights were helping her, helping keep her possums out of her fruit trees. You wouldn't yeah. want to do that permanently in a tree mm. because it would then upset the insect nocturnal insect populations that do so much good. Yeah, but and it's so maybe in a fruiting time yeah. or something. <laughs> maybe during fruiting just time. Just in fruiting or time, yeah. sporadically. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's to, worth trying. Yeah, absolutely. Although I've got a, a family of ringtails which um, come to the apple tree every night and just they don't eat the apples but they sit and eat munch on the leaves and that's fine by me really it's very cute. And, they're, and they're not fussed over. i shine a torch on them yeah. every night for my swag and yeah they're, they're not fussed at all that's pretty weird that they don't eat apples because the ringtails visiting my tree are definitely eating the apples yeah like, why don't they eat your apples what are they why, well, they're why eating they got the leaves well, I don't know yeah, why they're not int- eating the apples yeah, as well, though. It's int- really interesting. You've got very well-trained ringtails. Or low IQ, like they're just not <laughs> <laughs> They haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> yeah. They're fructose intolerant <laughs> ringtails. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they haven't discovered. All right, we should go to Sue in Narriwarren North. Good morning, Sue. Oh, good morning, uh, ladies. Uh, I just uh, was listening to Karen talking about apple trees. and uh, Not apple, apricot, apricot. trees. Mm. Um, I'm going to get one because I had a trampoline for my grandchildren which is gone now thank goodness <laughs> and and my the man that helps me for in the garden he reckons the moor park absolutely uh, they're so so delicious because actually i was up at diggers a couple of weeks ago and they've got two more parks one's just called a moor park and one's called an early moor park yes there is that Isn't yeah it? so it's, that's worth getting too because one problem with that well you know it can be a problem with apricot trees as they tend to fruit around Christmas time when you're really busy. Yeah. So uh, the early moor park, actually that you just reminded me, I might look at if they do have an early moor park dwarf, I'd like to get a dwarf this time. Yeah, well, I'd not really like to get a dwarf because we're inundated with um, um, rainbow lorikeets and, you know, they've just about eaten all my apples this year. And... They love apples, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they and, yeah, I thought, well. um, and if... Um, maybe from the beginning we can train it to sort of weep more. Well, so I'll, I'll just briefly mention that method. So you, um, you, the main the main basis of it is that you need to have multi-branching. So you need lots and lots of branching. So you're growing more like more of a shrub. You don't want to just develop three main limbs. Oh, okay. So you can use some summer pruning, and this is this is summer pruning, not to. Um, not just at the end of summer, like people are starting to do more now, and that's quite suitable for apricots because they're prone to fungal diseases. But I'm talking about pruning in the middle of summer so that you 
cause the tree to grow more branches. And you can also refer to Alan Gilbert's books for some of this information as I well. I think I've got all his books. Yeah, so have a look through. But the basic information is you plant your tree in winter you let it grow, you, and you prune it by half to kind of, you know, let yeah. it get go, let it get its roots settled in. And then in summer you prune again. So you wait until it's developed quite a bit and then you prune it again so that before the end of the season yeah. you've got you know, hopefully double the branches. So you really try to produce a shrubby kind of a thing. Yeah. And then you let that grow when you've got lots and lots of branches. And as it grows, you don't prune the, you try to get the fruit, you try to allow the fruit to be at the tips of the branches and you're letting the weight of the fruit pull oh, down. Yeah, pull them down, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't get fruit, it's a problem because then you have these branches shooting up to the sky. So you don't prune in winter. Yeah. So you allow them to be long and then you allow the fruit to hang, to pull the branches down like Japanese gardeners would with stones to, you know, produce weeping trees or to train their trees. And the fruit does pull the branches down. Yeah. And then um, as the branches become more woody, they do settle into that shape. Oh, okay. And yeah, look, pe- you my- do start to get some branches coming up in the centre. You know, branches do come up in the centre each year, but you try and just remove those and you, you just keep your horizontal and weeping branches. And, of course, this slows down the vegetative growth and it increases the flowering and the fruiting. And, look, I can only say it works really, really well. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't do much of the pruning because I'm older now and I have somebody help me. You know, once a month. So, well, you'll uh, need to talk to them about that because it's not the normal way, or yeah. you know, it's not the conventional way people prune fruit trees. That's for sure. Oh well, I'll, I'll get Alan's book out. And yeah, go through it that. because it's it's really interesting, and it it's actually a low interference pruning method, which is another nice thing too. Like it's mm. a lot less work. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't prune very much, and I actually grew up on a fruit orchard in okay. South Australia, and and I sometimes. You know, my father had everything in rows and stuff like that, and I've got a wonderful peach and a fig and all these trees, and, and I don't prune, and uh, my father would just be horrified at the way I look after my fruit trees. But Peaches and, and nectarines, it is good to prune because otherwise they end up fruiting yeah, well, somewhere so high you think they're... Mm. Yeah, well, my peach tree does, but, but it's such a beautiful peach. It's a really old-fashioned one. It's called a blackburn, which... I've never I, even heard of that. It's It's... It was bought as a Blackburn, Alberta. It's a freestone mm. peach. You know, the stone comes out easily. It's yellow flesh, and it's a bit red around the uh, stone. And when I was growing up, we had a lot, and they used to be used for drying. And, uh, yeah, beautiful peach. I wonder whether that's a variety of Alberta or whether Alberta's just the shortened, the shortened name mm. of I that I don't know, because we did fruit. have another peach that... Dad grew, and that was in Alberta, and the cannery actually took that because the trouble with the blackburn with the red around the uh, stone, if because Mum used to bottle it, and and the juice would go a bit cloudy because of the red. Oh. Um, but the cannery took the Alberta, but not this blackburn peach. But you know, it was really good for a drying peach. We used to have to cut apricots for drying, and. Uh, yeah, You're so lucky to have those memories, whereas I wish I knew all the varieties. I only knew a couple of the varieties that my grandfather used to grow because mm. I wasn't around. You know, he I wasn't around long enough for him to, you know, asking those questions. So you're very lucky. Sounds yeah, well, like I mean, right. the thing was, I mean, you know, I had it when I was a kid because you have to go home from school <laughs> and work. But, but you do remember stuff. And, yeah. And, and earlier you were talking about avocados and needing two. Well, I did have two. I had a bacon, but it got cooked, so I had to pull it out. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was in the sun too much. Anyway, I've got this heart, house, 
which is sort of shaded in the from the west. Excellent. By my chicken house, and it's huge. They actually seem to fruit better. They're, you know, they're one of the companions for bacon, but from everyone I've seen, they fruit. They, they set more fruit than bacon in the first place anyway. Yeah, so. well, it's, it's got a really... Because um, it's in the chicken house and I walk under it because I... And I wonder it's going well. Mm. And my neighbour and I, we've got a little gate and we walk in and out of, you know, of each other's to swap stuff. And, uh, yeah, when I stand in her yard, I can just see all these tree, all these fruit on it. And it's just the one. Fantastic. She is actually going to get one at some stage. Yes, yeah, so I encourage people to have neighbourhood avocado forests. Oh, yeah. So you, you don't have to have two. It's just that the old information in Melbourne was that you only needed one because we had a cool climate. But because we often have hot weather when they're flowering, it doesn't really work very well, and that's why you, you know, we think that you need two now. But yeah. I did actually, because I felt strongly about this, made make a fairly bad production value YouTube video about avocados. So if people want to um, learn anything I've learned about avocado growing, it's there under Karen Sutherland YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> Excuse the bad-looking video. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the apricot tree. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. No, that, yeah, I would get a ha- um, uh, sorry, uh, more park, and yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Probably get the dwarf because it's not really, really dwarf. It's sort of you know just manageable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then thanks, Karen. Bye. You're Good on you. Thanks, Sue. Bye. Bye. We're almost at that point now with our nectarine tree at home. It's oh, it used to it, so it was bought as a peach and nectarine, you know, a double oh, yes, double yeah. graft. So the peach died years and years ago. It must have been on the nectarine rootstock, and so the the trunk of the nectarine is on like a forty five degree angle, oh. <laughs> and then it angles back again, back the other way, and then it, it sort of grows out like that. But the 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 forty five degree angle bit is all. It's all like cracked away. It must be you know, fungal disease or something. In the last few years, we haven't got much off it at all. We uh. During the sort of millennial drought years, it must have been doing a survival thing and just fruiting. <laughs> like it was fruiting wow. so much. We were stewing it. We had it, you know, frozen stewed nectarines for, the, you know, months. And it was awesome. But, you know, the last few years, there's been hardly any fruit on it. And it's like, what do we do? You have to pull the plug. <laughs> we have to pull, we have to pull it out. I'd like to leave it Sorry in its spot for a couple of years and plant something else nearby, and to to try because they don't start fruiting for some no, don't start fruiting for about five or seven years, years or yeah. something, ten even. No, no, no that's three. No, oh, yeah. three. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. yeah. So apricots a bit slower. Okay, but yeah. So plant it nearby no, and then pull it, it out. Just, just get it out. <laughs> yeah. Went to um, Rainer's Orchard in Wirralik recently and they've okay. got a massive stone fruit orchard and they do tractor tours. You can go around. Oh, it was the best. Yeah. Just tractor tours. <laughs> it's all you can eat. I was like, oh. <laughs> peaches and nectarines. But they've got all these weird different um, hybrid varieties, um, nectar plums. And plum cots or something. Plum yeah. cots. A friend of mine grows that. Pluots. <laughs> and... <laughs> It was that so, just sounds so weird. It sounds <laughs> like really weird. Breeds. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to buy a nectar plum though. This fruit was so juicy. Really? It was amazing. It was oh. like a white nectarine on steroids. Mm. Like, like the juiciness of a plum with the flavor, with the sweetness of a nectarine. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, what was it again? Nectar, nectar plum. plum. Nectar plum. Nectarine okay. in a plum. Yeah. <laughs> Keep an eye out for it because it was it was the best thing. It was just so juicy and and could you buy plants there you could buy plants there i have seen them i've seen a couple of their those sort of varieties in nurseries before yep 
Um, but yeah, they've got a big nursery there with all their range. They had some avocado trees as mm, well. Mm. Um, they weren't on the tour, but they just sort of drove us around on this tractor to whatever was fruiting in the orchard at the moment. Fantastic. So there was the pluots and much better when you can taste things, especially yep. if it's a new variety. Straight off the had. tree too. It was just yeah, and that's really fantastic. Remember when I first met my partner years ago? He maintained he didn't eat peaches, and I thought that's a pretty shocking statement. <laughs> and I didn't actually realise all he meant was he'd never tasted a homegrown peach. So, of course, it was just so different. Yep. Oh, actually, they're really nice. Yeah, they've got flavour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's nothing like homegrown stone fruit, really. Oh. Well, nothing like homegrown anything. Yeah, yes. true. Something but I'm a bit – I think growing up in the Golden Valley, I can't, I can't bring myself to eat stone fruit unless it's homegrown. I'm, I'm just a bit of a snob. So. <laughs> <laughs> Been spoiled by yeah. getting them from orchards or homegrown. So. Yeah. yeah. And so. you come from a family of farmers, don't you? Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. But, so yeah well, it's this, definitely in your blood. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but it does ruin you a little bit because you can't enjoy um, – even, even the health food shop, they're just not quite as good. They're nothing like picking them No, if the you've tree. got one at home, we've always had a nectarine tree at home. Mm. My pa always had a nectarine tree and a peach tree. Mm. And buying them from the supermarket, just, even the fruit yeah. shop, just doesn't cut it. No, and no. You just, so and at the moment as well. Yeah, yeah <laughs> because our nectarine tree hasn't – we haven't got much the last few years. It's like – where are my nectarines? Where's his fruit? <laughs> fruit? I, and it, he's sort of craving it and you can't get it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you have to cut yeah. out this whole tree. They're strong longings, aren't they? These <laughs> yeah. fruit yeah. longings. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's A.B. Bishop and with me in the studio are Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design and Chloe Foster from Melbourne Zoo and the Cranbourne Gardens. Yes. Now, Chloe, you brought some um, exciting-looking seed pots yes. in there. Um, what have you got? I oh, was yes. in Seventh yes. Heaven recently. I went over to WA to visit my brother <gasps> Um, and we travelled up just north of Perth for a little while, and I, we went to this amazing place. Well, first of all, there was so much more in flower there than what I expected at this time of year. So I was mm. like, oh, yeah, I might see a couple of banks here, but there was so much in flower along the sides of the road. There was the Ilyari mm. gum, which is the red cap oh, gum. Yeah. Um, anyway, we stayed at this farm called High Valley Farm. It's about three hours north of Perth, and these amazing people bought this 5,000 acres in the mid-60s, it was it's sort of called the last frontier. The land hadn't been cleared. So they've got about 5,000 acres and they had the smarts to set aside 1,000 acres and leave it as untouched Kwangan flora um, remnant native bushland. Um, I think he, Don and Joy Williams, their names are, and Don... John's father sort of he sort of grew up as a bit of an environmentalist and he sort of he saw this and he knew that it was a little bit special and I'm taking notes that it should be safe. <laughs> I've got the field guide here if you want to have a look at it. They've got and an incredible can stay there. So Yeah, they've got a farm stay. So Fantastic. and boar water, which tastes like Melbourne water, it was absolutely beautiful. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they've got this incredible aquifer that, that they've tapped into. Um anyway, really um really cool. There's a farm stay down one end of the property. There's Noitzia, the West Australian Christmas trees. is like their paddock trees. I was like, wow. <laughs> um, anyway, so Don took us around for a tour around um, the bushland. And that one there that you guys were just looking at is the woody pear, um, which is pretty widespread in the part. I'm not sure what its range is, but it was where I went, north of Perth up to about Durian Bay and inland a little bit, the woody pears sort of everywhere the fruit looks like that's the fruit there this sort of pale minty green thing with this furriness furriness really mm. short I fur think I knew on it was it. woody pear but I don't know any I don't even know if it's a tree it's a shrub yeah, what, what is a woody pear it's a tree um not a huge tree 
probably the ones I saw were maybe four metres at the most um, with all of these. Um, it looks kind of like a – the shape of it's kind of like a, a those candle light bulbs, mm. I think I try to describe <laughs> yeah, it as. Really I was thinking of it this morning. I was like, how do you Flame. describe this it's thing? Kind of, well, it obviously hangs that way, but if you turn it up the other way, yeah. it looks like a, a mm. kid's drawing of a flame in a way. Yep, yep. And the they are edible, so oh, really? so that's a fresh fruit that we picked off the tree. But as they dry, they crack open, and there's a seed in it. Mm. I haven't tasted it, but Don, the owner of this property, told me that he thinks it tastes like a walnut cross and almond. Mm. So, there's so it's the seed that you eat. The seed that you okay. eat. So that's mm. a pretty thick woody coat on it at the moment. So I see it's Xylomelum yes. pyroformi, which is um, yep. it's in the Proteaceae family. Yeah, isn't that weird? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So xylo means woody, I think. Melum sort of melony or something. So, no, woody. I would have xylo maybe water. Yeah, maybe yeah, okay. Well, that's right. Mm. Yep. And oh. then pyra, where is it here? Pyroformi, obviously the pear. pear yeah. Yep. Okay, so the species that they've got over there is xylomelum angustifolium. Okay, yep. Um, there's probably a couple of different species. Um, and they've got the flowers here, so it kind of looks like a white proteaceae flower mm. yeah. in this field guide here. Little so macadamia flowers or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, similar to a macadamia mm. flower, yeah, with this big... Oh, interesting then. Yeah, that has an edible nut, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I'm looking forward to that cracking open. I think you can crack it open normally, but it's a really hard woody fruit. So I'm just going to... It's, like it's cracked, it, yeah. though. Mm. It's got those little cracks in it already. Looks like it's going to take some getting into it. I think it's going like to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take a while. I'd love to... I don't know Axel. how animals would, would get into it. They must yeah. just eat, try to eat the old fruit or something. Yeah, or wait till it wait breaks till it down. I'm going to wait until it breaks yeah. down and sort of pops open itself. I think that's, that's what you can do. Yeah. To eat a weird native... Nut you've never eaten before. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, and hopefully it doesn't make me sick. <laughs> no, <laughs> that'd be fine. That's not the farm where they found the or discovered the Banksia rosseri, is it? I no, was... I don't think so. Okay, okay. I'm but... sure he would have told us that if they did. Probably yeah. a new yeah. Banksia. Yeah. Oh well, new before. Um... Uh, Celia Rossa, who was the Banksy artist before she, well, just towards the end of her Banksy painting project mm. um, through Monash University, um, they discovered this new uh, Banksy and um, oh, wow. yeah, she was able to paint it. So and, and they mm. named it after her. The Banksy, yeah, Banksy oh. Rossa, right? yeah, yeah. And, and it it's only got was, a really small range. It does. It was found on a mm. tiny, yeah, t- uh, on, on a um, farm in Western Australia. I'm pretty sure. Mm. I wonder if, yeah. yeah, I'm sure we we would have found out if if it was the last one. I will show you is. This is a Banksia um, nut fruit. The flower on the bank of this little Banksia is only really little. It's about two inches high, bright yellow, flowering at the moment called Banksia candoliana. Mm. But this fruit on it, it's like a propeller. Um, the follicles are about an inch long, which is huge for a Banksia follicle. And there's just on this one, there's just two of them. Um, but it's huge. It is absolutely huge. It's about yeah, like an inch long and an inch wide. It's like a mini boomerang. <laughs> it does, and um, I was absolutely fascinated by it. So hopefully, it'll. I might put it in the oven and, and pop pop it open and get the seeds out, or I might just let it you know pop open naturally. But it probably won't pop open naturally unless I put it out in really hot you know forty degree heat. But um, yeah, just a, such a tiny flower that it's produced this huge. Um, follicle on it and I'm sure this the seed must be quite large in this as well so Don gifted me a few of his um a few of his seeds from the from the property and I I got to see um my very favorite my most favorite eucalypt over there as well which is eucalyptus macrocarpa the rose of the west which is the eucalypt with that has 
the biggest flower. So the flowers can be up to 10 centimetres across and it's mm. just huge and it's got beautiful that that beautiful bright silvery blue foliage on it and the, and the flowers sort of nestled in between the foliage it's a mal, it's a mal- eucalypt so was it flowering when you were there yeah it was oh, wow. it's sort of it, it, I've never seen it in books. i know <laughs> it flowers just sort of sporadically throughout the year okay. so we're lucky hmm. enough he said oh yeah we'll just drive around the farm and 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 see what happens um and see if we can find one so we just drove around and we found a couple that were flowering. Oh, and I was so excited. <laughs> it was fantastic. So he gave me some of the nuts to take oh. home as well, some of the fruit. So they've popped open. I've got the seed out of them already. So oh. um, I'll be able to – I'll give the seed to the growing friends at Cranbourne and they can – with they can hopefully sell it. them. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. What the seed pods you brought in just look like little sculptures. Yeah. I know, I know. They're, um, How many seeds did you get out of that one? I haven't counted yet, oh, but yeah, they're really that? fine. They're yeah. really tiny mm. seeds. So, And there's a lot of frass in that, so I have to separate it out. But there's a lot. Oh, I've got the bag here. There's, um, oh, it's quite a few. There's quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> paper bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, put it in a paper bag. I'm lucky that didn't pop open on the way home on the aeroplane. Um, but yeah, so I came home with a, a macro, couple of macrocarpa seeds as well. And the little one, there's this tiny one. So I think recently everything that used to be called Dryandra has been lumped into Banksia. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is just, I can understand the science of it, but. Yeah. It's like a small animal. <laughs> yeah. I can understand the science of it, but seriously, they physically look so different. You can really tell, well, if you're a plant person, you can really tell the difference between a dryandra and a banksia. Yeah. Mm. So this one here is dryandra speciosa, and it's actually um, it's it's a reddy coloured flower. So they they hang down, and it's kind of like an insignificant hairy sort of flower. But if you pop it, if you turn it up, it's got this um, sort of scarlet coloured red centre. Um, so a really cute little thing as you as you sort of walking around the farm, just to sort of turn the flowers upside down. And so I've got the um, Got the fruit follicles from that as well, so I might pop them open. And, and so this is on the farm. It's just a natural area where they've just let it go. Yep, they haven't touched it. They haven't burnt it since. So they've had it since the mid '60s, and he hasn't. Mm. Um, none of it's been burnt, but there's still a huge diversity of plants. And we'll, I was talking about that with him. You know, as yeah, you know, how often or? do you burn? Mm. And it's different for you know mm. each region that you're in. Um, and he's yeah he, he didn't really give me the answer but mm. I suppose if they know they've got a lot of botanists that come up from Perth Botanic Gardens and the herbarium and mm. even Perth Zoo they come up and do a lot of work on the thorny devils and stuff that they've got on the property and other animals um, I'm sure if the people that were doing the research there had sort of noticed a decline in species diversity they might go think oh, so. I think it's time for a burn yeah. but there was so much flowering um, and there's just huge diversity like it, huge range of plants there that I don't think they need to burn How many at the acres moment. again did you say? 5,000 is the farm. Oh, yeah, okay. And then about 1,000. Big, isn't it? One-fifth, yeah. So <laughs> a farm. <laughs> yeah. And then 1,000 acres of, of remnant bushland that's mm. sort of... It's huge. Obviously the, the land that wasn't as farmable, um, so it's quite sort of a bit of a hilly area and a couple of gullies and there's some macrosamia there as well and um, mm. a few there's a, a eucalypt called eucalyptus pendens and I think he's got like 90% of the eucalyptus pendens left so it's a really um, beautiful weeping open um, eucalypt and there's just these like pockets of populations um, mm. over in the area and yeah it was just it was just so well, nice like a private botanic garden mm. in a way. really is really is and mm. it was good on them that they, that they had the foresight to 
to set the land mm. aside and 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 so open it up for everyone diverse. as well. Like they were the most yeah. wonderful, most welcoming people. Mm. Um, that, you know, they, you can just go and stay on a farm. And do they work with the indigenous rangers at all? I don't know. I don't think so. It sounds like um, we're the perfect property. Yeah, mm. I'm sure they probably have. Um, they yeah, they have people come from all over the world to do research there and on not just the plants but on on the animals that are there as well so yeah it yeah. was fantastic property it's called high valley farm if anyone's ever going up sort of north of perth towards geraldton it's about halfway up to geraldton and stop in and stay for a couple of nights and don Opened a bottle of wine for us, which was lovely. <laughs> and they're incredibly it's worth making a, pilgr- a garden <laughs> yeah. pilgrimage to me. Yeah, they're yeah, incredibly definitely. knowledgeable about everything, and just mm. you know, really open minded. And, and what do they farm? Uh, sheep, okay, yeah, yep. yeah. So you can wake up and the sheep are, the sheep are in the same paddock as you, and yeah, it was great. Heaps of birds around yep. the uh, ring necked parrot, I think it was called, beautiful blue, green, and yellow parrot. and yeah, it was just fa- it was fantastic, and we just found that we found it by accident. Um, we wanted to go inland for a couple of nights because it was like forty forty five k winds in a tent on the coast. I said, no, we're going inland, yeah. and we found High Valley Farm, and Terrific. Oh, it, it was, was such a happy coincidence. Yeah, 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 it was really meant to be wonderful. Yeah. Well, now someone's just called in wanting to know. Last week we were talking about a rock sculpting course or rock sculpting. Um, exhibition and uh, that's being um, put on at Cloud Hill Um, so I'm not exactly sure of the date but um, if you google the the Cloud Hill Garden um, with Jeremy Francis you'll find more information out about that and also um, somebody wants to know about the book launch again which is the Sustainable Agriculture versus Corporate Greed um, book launches on this Thursday, March the 30th at 6.30pm. Um, it's at the Purple Room Level 1 Multicultural Hub, 506 Elizabeth Street in the city, which is opposite the big markets. And um, Alan Brufton and Eleanor Garcia are the authors and Alan will be talking there. And for more information, you can call 9639 Eight six double two. So that's the book launch this Thursday. Which hmm. um, Karen, are you going to go? I, I'm, that, yeah, I'm definitely lining yeah. up for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it looks mm. pretty interesting. No, yeah, I'm just. I was actually musing to myself who to who might I ask to um, go with me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> who you, else wants to come to it? You know, we've got a few. Let's talk. Oh yeah, I was just going to yeah. talk about. Um, you know, it's it's this time of year. It's it's preserving Harvest. time. Yep. So harvest and preserving. So. You know, range of cherry tomatoes. I mean, it's nothing new, but I've been I've been doing a lot of taking photos of tomatoes recently. Actually, I was going to draw attention to this one I grew this year called. Uh, and here's another. I've got a lot of uh, foreign language speaking things today. Mm. So this is apologies to German speakers out there. Heisentrauber, <laughs> <laughs> which just means bunch of grapes, <laughs> or in Australian, you know, Reisentrauber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, these are incredibly sweet. So tiny, um, sort of slightly elongated rather than round um, uh, cherry tomatoes, but really, really sweet. So I've been very happy with those this year. And also they were in big bunches, just like a bunch of grapes. They do look like a bunch of grapes. And also some olives. These are actually from last year. Uh, oh, there you go, two years ago. Nice. Time passes. This is one of my more favourite methods. Um, what have you? What liquid are they in? Are in a brine. Mm-hmm. So uh, the typical method for making a brine is you put so much salt in that an egg will. Um, is it an egg will float? No. Look, you put about. I think it's a hundred. I have to look it up again, but it's a hundred grams per liter of water. Hundred grams salt per liter of water. I think for memory, one in ten, something like that. Yeah. Um, but 
um, there's just kind of basic methods. I've kind of tried a whole of different recipes out of out of some books and things over the years and been to a course at Bullying Up and Gun Centre years ago. So for quite a few years now, I've been going through and seeing which one worked. Um, I use smaller olives. So if you use larger olives, you have to cut, you have to slice them, or also you can use the bottom of a jar, like this a jam jar, and, and um, smash them against oh, a cutting board, yeah. so a timber cutting board. So you kind of crunch each one, and it just helps break them up because they're so big mm. to allow some of the bitterness to get out. So you pick them either green or black, depending on what you want. Now, someone asked me, oh, how do you know when your green ones are ready? Well, I don't really know. All I know is when they begin to turn black, I think, oh, I better quickly do them. I want green olives. <laughs> I like them green. So I inevitably do some green and some black because, you know, they're half and half by that stage because it's so quick when it happens. Um, so, you know, it's always good to give black olives to people. I just like green ones better. And so then just soak them in a big bucket of water. Sometimes I've used brine. Look, I just use water. I've gone to the simplest methods. Yeah. So water, just to get the bitterness out. And you need to have them submerged so they mm-hmm. don't rot. And also one other thing I've found is you have to really process them, you know, the day after you pick them or the two days or they'll just bruise and deteriorate. Mm. So you put a just a um, um, in a, from a food-grade bucket, I just put a dinner plate on top and then weigh it down with something and put a tea towel over the top to stop um, domestic animals deciding to have a bit of a sniff and a taste of the water. Do you know what? And then um, tip out the water every two or three days. You can even do it every week. I often do that every week. It's just too busy. And then you can taste them just to see if they're still bitter. Ready. So, you know, if you taste them after a couple of weeks, are they still too bitter? Yes. Okay, put them back in a bit longer. So it's a really simple method rather yeah. than doing a recipe. And then... <clears throat> so, excuse me, then I put them into clean, sterile, warmed jars with brine. So you boil the brine and then you put the pack the olives into the jar and what I've got in there is some, you know, some bay leaf. Um, at different times I'll put in some um, fresh, gar- you know, freshly peeled homegrown garlic cloves, maybe a small, you know, like something like a Thai chili is really nice because they're so small and I'm not, they're not so hot, not as hot as others. Mm. Um, also a really nice thing is this time of year you'll get fennel, um, nice fennel, either fennel flowers if you do if you've got early olives. For me, it's more fennel, a, a whole flower of fennel seeds. If that makes sense, yep, you know. Yep, a whole head. A whole head. Thank yep. you. Mm. Thank. You. <laughs> Plunge that in there as well. And then one really good hint is to take one good thick slice of lemon and put it on the top, and that ah. the acidity helps um, control, you know, bacteria. bad bacteria yep, basically. Yep. Yeah. So, and then make sure it's really overflowing with with um, brine, and then put the lid on. And oh, let them right. cool. And look, you do sometimes get a bit of seepage. Sometimes they tend to keep going. Um, so um, just put a tea towel underneath to um, before you put them in the cupboard. Oh, fabulous. Well, actually, that's all we've got time for today. The time has gone extremely went so quick. quickly. Yes. Yeah, so I'd like to thanks, Jan, for womaning the phones out there. <laughs> Thank you very much to Chloe Foster from the Melbourne Zoo and Cranbourne uh, Botanic Gardens thanks, for joining Abby. us. And thanks to Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. Nice to chat to you both today. Yeah, it's wonderful. Hopefully we can continue the conversation after the show. Um, Thank you to you, the listeners, for listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and um, until next week, bye for now. Mm